Welcome to Orange Intelligence, a KUKA Robotics podcast featuring key players in the drive towards innovation and automation in any market. Hello and welcome to Orange Intelligence, a podcast from KUKA Robotics. I'm your host today, Tyler Kern, and thank you so much for joining us for this episode. Now, the majority of the episodes of this podcast have focused on the capability of robots to perform tasks mainly in the world of manufacturing and things along those lines. But today we're going to explore a lighter side of robots, and we're going to take a look at the use of robots in the world of entertainment. And helping us do that today is Mike Beaupre. He is the sales director for entertainment at KUKA Robotics. Mike, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Tyler. My pleasure. Appreciate the opportunity to talk with you. Well, I'm excited to learn a little bit more from your experience, Mike. And we also have Ed Volsik. He's an engineering manager at KUKA Robotics. Ed, thank you for being here as well. Thank you, Tyler. Really appreciate the opportunity. Well, I'm excited to dive in and talk about maybe this lighter side of robotics. But first, from both of you, and let's start off with Mike, I want to get a sense of how you ended up working in this particular area with robotics that end up in places like theme parks and uh, and entertainment type venues. Uh, Mike, how did this all come about? Well, we actually go back to uh, 2000, uh, not long after I started with KUKA. I was working in uh, our general industry area. Uh, in the industrial side, and I, I heard about uh, a development going on in Germany at our headquarters for uh, developing an entertainment ride system and a specific robot uh, that would be certified for use in entertainment ride systems. And uh, kind of like, wow, that sounds interesting. I keep my eye on this, and uh, you know, things evolved. And uh, eventually, in 2006, I kind of took over. Uh, responsibility for our entertainment business, uh, mainly starting in the U.S. and then eventually evolving and uh, in having responsibility for our Chinese market as well. But uh, uh, yeah, it was a it was a development process that started in 2000, as like I said, and uh, it, it took a long time. It was uh, it was an expensive process. It was a market we had never participated in before or knew a lot about. So it was a real learning curve. And uh, a lot of new people had to be involved from outside who who knew how the, the theme park industry or the entertainment uh, industry worked and uh, what the requirements were to allow people to actually be carried on the end of a robot. Absolutely. Now, Ed, I want to hear a little bit from you as well, uh, how you ended up uh, working kind of in this area uh, alongside Mike and, uh, and some of the evolutions that you've seen during that time. I've been with KUKA now for 20 plus years. And as Mike mentioned, they started evaluating KUKA robots for entertainment purposes around 2000 and, and starting a, a, a large scale development for that, for that market space. I got involved really around 2005. We had a couple of key customers interested in the technology, trying to apply that technology for big theme park applications. And um, really my first foray into it was putting together a simulation system to simulate the motion that our customer at that time wanted to review and see how smooth robot motion could be and the types of motions that, uh, that a robot could achieve. So it was a, a really amazing experience at that time. We, you know, we were working with, with the customer to integrate the robot into some really neat um, visuals and then you know, create these motions that um, you really need six degrees of freedom of a robot to to feel like you're flying through a space, for example. 
Yeah, that's that's absolutely incredible. And, uh, and Mike, was it a, a surprise that um, that robots could be used in this area, or were you surprised by some of the different and varying applications uh, that that robots could be used for when it came to entertainment and theme parks and things along those lines? Yeah, I think it actually was Tyler. I mean, when we originally started out, uh, you know, our focus was on just you know a, a single robot, uh, two passengers on the end of the robot, uh, and how to do that safely. And go after, like, family entertainment centers and small venues who could put these on every corner, so to speak. You know, so that was how the, the market was, was envisioned at that time, uh, that uh, everybody would put these in these little theme park uh, areas. We really didn't expect that it would take off the way it did and look at larger theme park rides for the big players. Uh, where there were multiple robots on mobile vehicles uh, moving around within, you know, scenery and uh, projection screens uh, that just, as Ed had talked about, you know, it, it became another level of development that we had to go through just to make that happen. The big differentiator there is a stationary robot that would be mounted to a, one location on the floor versus now putting these robots onto a moving vehicle and there's multiples of them uh, in a larger uh, larger scale environment uh, on, on a continuous basis. So that was really what changed and, and we hadn't expected when we first got into this. Ed, what challenges are presented when uh, when you start doing things like what Mike is describing, you know, putting a robot on a moving vehicle and uh, some of the different uh, different applications that robots are used for in entertainment settings? What challenges does that present for you guys as engineers and as people that, that work with these robots? Yeah, no, that, that's a great question. There's a, a lot of incredible challenges we had to fight through and work through really to, to solve and to make this work. Um, one of the biggest things, when you take a look at traditional industrial robot systems, they um, really try to go from point A to point B as fast as possible because the key requirement for most industrial applications is cycle time. You want to get as much throughput as possible in, in through, a, through an application. Now, in the entertainment world, um, everything is time-based. So the motions need to be synchronized with everything else that is happening in the environment. So that, that could be thematic elements like show action equipment that might be moving and you want to be synchronized to that. It's sound. Um, you know, you have uh, music, voiceovers, things like that, where you need the robot to be at a specific place in time at a specific point in time. And, you know, other, other things, video, synchronizing robots to video. Um, again, this is all time-based type of let's say problems that we had to solve. So as I mentioned, traditionally it's, it's, it was more about, you know, getting from one place to another as fast as possible. So we really had to develop a new tool set, a new way of programming the robots to, uh, to achieve this time-based motion. And then as a layer on top of that, we worked with um, various animation software providers because in, in the animation world, it's all about time-based uh, time-based animation and to develop tool sets where they could animate our robots and generate profiles for the robot to move through in the real world. So that, that was really one, one of the major challenges we had to get through uh, really early on in this, this program. 
And Mike, I, I even wonder about things like VR and uh, and that sort of thing. And maybe this is something that uh, that you guys can uh, can talk about uh, together because th- this is obviously um, a huge evolution and a huge, uh, I guess, difference in terms of the way that that riders would experience the ride. Right, that having virtual reality and integrating that in with the robot as well. That's a that's a cool merging of technologies, right? On one side you have robots, and on the other side you have virtual reality that creates this uh, this amazing experience. Yeah, uh, absolutely, uh, Tyler. That's kind of like the latest craze right now in in just about every application I discuss with a potential customer, always asking about a VR option uh, and if that's possible. So a lot of a lot of different things fall into play when you you know, you put VR on a robot, uh, and we we found that out a long time ago. Um, obviously, motion th- sickness is a big big concern. Um, you know, you have to have the video synchronized with the motion of the robot within one or two frames, or, you know, you can get very sick. Uh, it's, a, it's a bad, bad feeling. Mm. So that's that's one of the things with our robot and uh, some of the developments we've had with our ta- time-based functionality that allows us to, to do that, to achieve that uh, requirement uh, so people don't get sick. So we can actually uh, develop a, a, a video and use VR goggles or a screen in front of the robot or whatever the customer requires in that case and synchronize that motion uh, very, very precisely, uh, you know, with, with what you're seeing on the screen. So, uh, you, you know, there, there's no sickness. Yep. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, Mike. You're, you're right on there. Um, you know, what's interesting with, with robots is when you create these motions and you're sitting on the end of the robot, the types of motions you can achieve. And then when you couple that with video, whether it's something that's in front of you or even better, like you're describing with VR and you have the world, you know, totally created in front of you, that synchronization just creates an, an, a really unique experience that is very hard to achieve outside of a robot system just because of the types of motions you can create. So that's that, that's one interesting side of VR. And then, you know, we're also exploring um, applications in augmented reality. So wearing glasses and adding additional data on top of um, traditional robot, um, industrial robot applications, adding data, adding information to help you understand process information and so on. So there's a, there's a lot of interesting applications evolving right now in both augmented reality and uh, virtual reality spaces. So I, I would assume that at some point people want to know about the safety of these robots and, and that sort of thing. And they say, okay, if you're a company that typically works making robots for manufacturing and things along those lines, uh, how do you then go about uh, crafting robots that are safe for people to, to ride on and to have these types of experiences on it and that sort of thing? So what are some of the key differences in safety uh, safety protocol put in place with these robots that, that make them safe to, to have, um, you know, human riders on them one of the one of the biggest things is uh you know just just following the standards that are out there for for amusement park type of rides and and it varies a lot from country to country um we probably follow about uh, four or five different standards depending on where we're we're uh, going to be installing the ride system um, a good case in point is uh, for for Europe, where where the robots are built, and we follow the European norm standard, you know, for manufacturing the robot. But then we also have to abide by ASTM for North America, as a standard called CSEI for China. Uh, and so our solution for that is we use a third party 
that evaluates the, the, the robots based on those standards, and then we get a certification uh, that they claim or can say that they followed those standards and the robot is, is safe and meets all the requirements. You know, and, and Mike's absolutely right with the standards really define the requirements that the robot system or any any ride system needs to meet from, you know, a mecha- mechanical integrity perspective, from a control safety perspective. So we had to go back through all of our really our manufacturing processes to ensure that we had we were achieving the highest quality, that we were achieving strength standards in in the materials that we were using. We had to evaluate all failure modes that were possible and then plan around those and build around those. So that meant really building dual channel redundancy into the safety system. So you have two two channels of monitoring and and safety built into the system to ensure that it could never fail. Um, so that, that was very important to, to step back and go through every really detail of the robot system from the mechanical perspective and the controls perspective. Right. And that means, you know, material certifications from our suppliers, um, because we have to evaluate every component in the robot for single point failure on the mechanical side. And as Ed mentioned, uh, the uh, control redundancy. Uh, in the case case of uh, putting, especially when we put the robot in motion on a vehicle, um, you know, we have to have a dual channel feedback system that uh, allows us to uh, to achieve the the performance level E standard. Uh, that's a requirement from uh, all the theme park people. That's really interesting. So, are there certain circumstances where a standard industrial robot can be used in an entertainment setting? Is are are there roles for those types of robots or? Because of the necessary safety measures and precautions, there's really not a place for kind of your standard uh, industrial robot that you would see in uh, in maybe other settings. Absolutely. I mean, you know, the differentiator here is putting people on the robot or not having people on the robot. So not having people on a robot, you know, there's a whole realm of applications that uh, we have done or are looking at. You know, there's there's live stage shows, there's theater, there's... TV and, and, and movies that we've uh, had applications in, you know, we develop uh, simulator education systems, uh, you know, and then we have, a, there's a new market that has evolved more recently in, in cinema applications or actually putting a, a camera on the end of the robot that can be used for uh, uh, filming uh, television commercials or different uh, uh, marketing spots. And uh, we're getting quite a few applications on that more recently. And that kind of evolved from a very interesting project we did a few years ago. Um, you, you may have seen the movie Gravity. That was filmed, I, I'm mm-hmm. not sure when the, the movie came out exactly, but uh, uh, that's kind of evolved into people stepping back and saying, wow, we didn't realize that robots could be used for these types of applications. And the performance of them was suitable for very smooth motion to put a video camera on the end of it. Um, So that's, you know, a lot of small uh, cinema people, uh, shops have uh, contacted us and uh, it's kind of evolved into a new market where we, we systems are being built and provided to photographers and, uh, and small uh, studios where they can actually, you know, do a lot of filming uh, using a robot and getting some results that they could never achieve otherwise with a handheld camera or with a jib. So it's 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 really evolved. And, you know, one one application evolves into the next application. It seems. 
Absolutely. That's a, th- those are some really cool applications, and I, I enjoyed learning a little bit more about those. Um, so w- when you consider just the different ways that robots are being used now, um, some of the things that, that you just mentioned, what do you see as maybe some of the, the future um, developments, and, and what are you looking for? What are you looking forward to as things continue to, to move forward in the world of uh, robots and entertainment? What kinds of things have you uh, excited for the future? Well, I really think, you know, with, you know, collaborative robots really coming into their own now and into, uh, as a number of players in that arena and in KUKA having been in it for a long time, uh, I think the interactive interactive aspect of uh, robots is is kind of coming into its own where, you know, uh, museums are interested in using robots. Uh, the theme parks are interested in using robots for interactive, for, you know, kind of a science-related. Uh, uh, there's a lot of interest in, in space, you know, with all the talk about going to Mars lately. And, uh, you know, really focusing on kids and learning, you know, education-type applications where, uh, you know, the robot's a big part of that. I mean, you know, we're starting to see a lot of, uh, applications for humanoid type robots now too coming into their own and going to be ready for market very soon. You know, the general public sees that and understands it, whereas maybe they don't understand an industrial robot application. So we're exposed to it other than maybe a few commercials where we, we have robots in. Mm-hmm. But uh, outside of that, I mean, there's a huge interest in, in robots, especially with kids. You know, they want to touch them and feel them and interact with them. And and uh, I think there's a huge opportunity uh, just around the corner for applications like that. For me, I'm very interested. You, you touched on it earlier, augmented reality, virtual reality. Um, you know, KUKA is now partnering with local university here, uh, Oakland University, and developing their augmented reality center. We're really excited to be part of that. We'll be involved in, in new cutting-edge research with the university looking for various applications and developing applications using AR and VR, that kind of merging of the digital world and the real world all, all together, fusing that information to operators, to end users and so on, um, really presents some really unique applications that uh, I'm really looking forward to and, and, and really looking forward to getting involved in that space. Well, Mike and Ed, it has been a pleasure learning a little bit more about how robots are being used in this area right now. And uh, I've really enjoyed our conversation. And I'm just as excited as you are to see where things continue to go in the future. And so Mike Beaupre and Ed Volsic, uh, guys, thank you so much uh, for joining us today here on Orange Intelligence and uh, sharing some information here. Okay. Thank you, Tyler. It was good talking with you. Yes. Thank you, Tyler. Really appreciate the uh, opportunity again. Thank you. Absolutely. And everyone, thank you for tuning into this episode of Orange Intelligence, a podcast from KUKA Robotics. We enjoyed uh, recording it and bringing it to you very much. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you go and uh, check out previous episodes of the podcast where we talk about a number of topics in the world of robotics, uh, cover a lot of different areas and have a lot of thought leadership and insights from the people at KUKA. Uh, So you're going to want to go check out those episodes. And if you want to stay up to date with everything going on in the world of KUKA, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and stay up to date with everything uh, going on with KUKA Robotics. And of course, we'll be back soon with more episodes of the show. But until then, I've been your host today, Tyler Kern. Thanks for listening.